0: Hello, I'm Louis Efron. I'm a writer. I contribute to Forbes and Huffington Post. I write for several other journals as well. I've written two books, How to Find a Job, Career, and Life You Love, and the second one recently came out, Purpose Meets Execution, How Winning Organizations Accelerate Engagement and Drive Profits. I'm an international speaker. I consult for organizations around this topic of purpose and execution. And today on Doug Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Show, I am going to tell you how to lead a successful life and build a winning organization. So stay tuned. Congratulations.
1: You are tuned into Dov Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Show, the number one podcast for Fortune 500 executives and those who are dedicated to creating a quantum leap in leadership. Your host, Dov Barron, is the founder of FullMonteLeadership.com. He's an executive mentor to leaders like you a contributing
0: writer for Entrepreneur Magazine, CEO World, and he's been featured on CNN, Fox, CBS, and many other notable sites. Dov Barron is an
1: international business speaker who was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership
0: speakers to hire. Now, over to Dov Barron.
1: Welcome, dear friends, fans, and fellow aficionados of leadership and excellence. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dog Bearer's Leadership and Loyalty Tips for Executives, part of the Full Monty interview series, where today we're going to take a look at the purpose. Now, you may have found yours, but how do you put your money where your mouth is? Well, if you're a new listener, new viewer... Thank you for joining us. Strap yourself in. We're about to go full Monty. If you're a regular, big thank you to you for making us the number one podcast globally for Fortune 500 listeners. And listen, there are over a, million, over a million podcasts out there, and thousands of them focus on business and leadership, but there is only one show that focuses on the heart and soul of leadership, and you'll tune into it with me, your host, Dave Barron. So thank you for joining us. Remember to share the show with everybody you know. We need your help in staying relevant, so please get yourself over to iTunes, Rate, review, and subscribe to the show. All right, let's strip it down and dive right in. As a leader, whether you're a CEO, C-suite leader, sales leader, entrepreneur, leader in any capacity, you know that we on this show speak a lot about purpose. I speak a lot about it on my other show, Dave Barron's Leadership Unscripted. In fact, I speak about it every show I'm being interviewed on and on every platform I speak on. So in case you haven't guessed, I believe that success in leadership today is... For you to be successful, you're going to have to know your purpose and the purpose of your organization. However, there is one very important detail that is often gets skipped over, and that is following through on your purpose. It's the one thing that you must discover is how to execute on it. Well, stay tuned because you're about to find out. Our our guest today is is Louis Efron. He's the author of several books. His first book was... How to Find a Job, Career, and Life You Love, and his latest book is Purpose Meets Execution, How Winning Organizations Accelerate Engagement and Drive Profits. Louis Efron is a contributing writer for Forbes and Huffington Post. His career credits include VP of HR for JDA, sorry, a little bit of dyslexia moment there, it happens all the time. Welcome to my brain. It's not a pretty sight. Software is the VP of HR at Fortune 300 Medical Devices Company, Striker and Broadway Theater, and being head of global employee engagement for a little company you may have heard of. What were they called again? Uh, oh, yeah, Tesla Motors. He's an award-winning human resources uh, executive, entrepreneur, writer, theater director, producer, consultant, speaker, and founder. Of the charity World Child Cancer USA, he has lived and worked throughout the U.S., Europe, Africa, Asia. He studied labor relations at Cornell and advanced leadership at Harvard Business School. On top of all that, he's a fellow lover of beautiful shirts and pretty shoes. So please put your hands together and welcome, Lewis Uh Edwin. Thank you for having me. Uh Honor to be here.
0: Thank Thank you
1: for
0: having
1: me. so good to have you here, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, got the book right here, fabulous book folks, make sure you get out there and get it, great reviews by all kinds of important people whose names I can't read because I don't have glasses on right now, but my arms are not long enough, however I know that they're great and I know it's a great book because I've actually read it, so let's, let's jump in, leadership, particularly purpose driven leadership has a huge impact on culture. But so often, that's where people get stuck. They can't make the transition from one culture, um, and they want to keep things the way they were. You are a, a Californian-American who married a Scot, who never left Scotland. Uh, you, you and your kids have gone around the world. You've lived in Japan. Uh, and, you, and you actually started out by moving a lot, even as a kid, because your father worked for, as you called it, I've Been Moved, uh, IBM. Do you think that that has helped you to grasp culture, the fact that you've moved around so much? I mean, you think you told me that you've lived in 40 homes already?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my travels have changed the way I view the world big time. When I was little, I hated moving, obviously, did not sure. like to do it. And now when i all the moves I've made, both in my personal career and when I was a child, massive impact on how I just see everything and how I process things. So absolutely, um, the ability to assimilate in new cultures and meet new people and understand new ways of life and how people live has um, significantly helped me in my career and what I do today for sure.
1: So so let's just jump into that for a minute and, and say, okay, we've got this executive who's listening, watching the show right now. They just got a new board. They just got taken over. There was m you know, They've got a new CEO. There's a new culture. And they're ready to walk away because they like the culture the way it was. But it doesn't matter because the comp- the culture's gone. The company's gone. It's a new culture. Based on what you know, based on where you've come from, and like I said, this moving around piece, what would you give them as this just this simple piece of advice that they need to implement or something that will help them to get over that that part of us that wants to hold on to the old.
0: Yeah, well, I think, you know, over time, everything, every culture and every society evolves, right? And the essence, and what we, we both speak about is around evolving around purpose, right? There's still a key foundation of purpose, regardless of how an evolution and a, a culture may change over time. But if things aren't working right, and as, as you move forward, strategies change. Purpose remains consistent, strategies change, and cultures evolve and become more mature. So I would highly recommend is to connect whatever's happening in the culture in your organization with results. And that's absolutely key. So if you don't like a particular culture, and it's not delivering results and you have the wrong culture. You need to obviously move that. But if you're in an organization because you love the results and you love the purpose of what you're trying to do. Right. Um, a culture may evolve to make that stronger and make that better and make you deliver better results than you have in the past. So the, I would I would highly advise any person like that to look at the results you're delivering in the organization and embrace that as your anchor for that change. If you're not getting results, it's a different story, then, then you have to look at what's going on in the business. Yeah. But if you're getting what you're doing, you're fulfilling your purpose, you're moving in the right direction, um, you know, muster down and uh, in culture that aren't healthy you need to change that. But cultures evolve. People right. evolve. People grow. So it. It's
1: interesting because I've had this conversation around culture with other people in, in, in my career. And one of the things I, I will often say is you don't often meet somebody, particularly today, who lives and works in the same place as they, you know, even the same town or the same city as they did when they were a kid. And I say, well, how did you adapt to that culture? You moved from Westchester, New York, and you moved to Idaho. How did you adapt to that? And, you know, and they go through that and I say, but if you look at it, it's not about whether you're in Idaho or whether you're in New York. It's what's in here, which is what, you know, you and I talk about so much is like, what's your purpose? Because if the environment fulfills my purpose, I don't care where I am. You know, one of the things I've been asked, I I had a great conversation about this on an interview I did years ago. And somebody said to me uh, about my purpose. And I said, listen. Let me just make it clear. I'll help you understand this. And I think this is a good point for all of us. If the government became some kind of autocratic system that that banned all kinds of things that it decided was not okay, and it said, you can no longer speak. And I go, okay, I'll write books. You can't make write books. Okay, I'll make audios and videos. No, you can't do that either. And you can't work one-on-one with people. I go, what would I do? And I asked the, ask the people I'm talking to, what do you think I would do? And they go, I don't know. And I said, well, let's say the government then says I have to go work at McDonald's. What do you think I'd do? And they go, I don't know. I guess you'd get depressed. I go, yep, definitely I'd be depressed. But what would I do after a period of time? They go, I don't know. And I go, exactly what I do now. Because that's who I am. That's my purpose. And I think that that's a message that you and I are so bring together in your book and in mine is that once you find that purpose, you simply are not saying – can I work here? You say, does that work with me? Yeah. And and that's a lot about what your first book was about, right? It was about finding yeah, you know, what's right
0: for you. Yeah. There's a fantastic quote by Dr. Wayne Dyer. I don't know if I'm sure you know him. Uh, it says, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.
1: Absolutely. And
0: it's a powerful sort of um, foundational quote for me in my life when I think about that. Because even in your example about McDonald's, right? What you do, and I know from your books as well, you, you serve others, right? That's what you believe in, servant leadership is what I believe in, yeah. right? And even if you're potentially serving people at McDonald's versus serving people in a corporate environment, you default back to that, right? And you can see the negative side of working in a fast food, or you can see the side of serving others and feeding families and creating great environments and, 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 mo- and special moments for people, right? There's always a way to look at things. So I, like you, I think if you, if you change your perspective, you always go back to, who you are and your roots and that authentic leadership, right? Right. You you could do it in in any environment.
1: Yeah, and I think that once you've got connected to your purpose, that that one of the things that I love about purpose, and it's one of the things that's drawn me through all all my years, is I think with, with purpose comes, it's one of the things that I talk about in the work that we do. One of the things, and I'd love to hear your feedback on it. One of the things about purpose is when you're really connected to purpose, victim disappears. You're 100% accountable because I'm either aligned with my purpose or I'm not. And if I'm bitching, moaning, and complaining, I'm not aligned. So I've either got to move or, you know, I'm in the wrong place. So i either got to move internally, psychologically, or I've got to move and go somewhere else. What's your thoughts on that? Is it for you a guidance system as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, depending on how I feel, and I tell, always tell leaders this, I mean, when you're fulfilled and you're living your purpose and you're doing what you, you're meant to be doing, you feel good. And the more you can do that, the better you feel and the more you feel like you're, you're helping others um, along the way. But when you that disconnect, when the disconnect has happened, that's when you become potentially depressed. You become upset. You become angry. You get agitated easier. But the more you're doing what you're meant to do in life, the more it all works, Absolutely. And the more time, just, you know, you don't, you stop watching the clock, you know, people that are not in jobs where they're, they're not connected to their purpose, they watch the clock until five o'clock. They can't wait to run out the door. And when weekends come, thank God it's the weekend. But when you're living a life of purpose, you don't think about that, right? I, no. you know, that, that quick quote, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Absolutely. I feel that way. You know, this yeah. is, this is cool sitting here talking to you about such an amazing topic, right? Yeah. This is, this, this is fun. Absolutely. And
1: yeah that's
0: to I me, mean. I think you' it's definitely a guiding system. yeah
1: I love that. Now you know obviously we're a, we're a leadership show, and I want to talk about the great elephant the great white elephant that nobody seems to talk about. Um, and I love to ask leaders like yourself, people I have respect for who do amazing things, whether it's politically or corporately or in any other form, I want to address the, the, this question which is, what do you see as the current state of leadership today? And like I said, I'm not necessarily talking about political or corporate in any context. What do you see as the, the current state of leadership?
0: Yeah, you know, I think there's, there's many levels. On, on the political side, it's disappointing, quite frankly. I think it's a bit, it's a bit sloppy. And there's a, there's a bit of a mentality, I think, right now, especially what's happening. You watch the news every day. You can't help but see it. That results at any cost, right? I mean, whatever you're trying to achieve, whatever your objective is, Whatever you have to do to get it, whether that be good or bad, you do it, which is I think is very dangerous. And I think it's sending a message globally. When you watch the media today and you watch everything going on, there's lots of examples of, I think, really bad leadership on every side. Mm -hmm. Hands are clean, you know, no matter what what party you connect yourself with. There's there's nasty, really bad leadership things and bad leadership decisions happening to help influence people. And I think, you know, even when I have my kids now, my, I have a nine year old and a four year old little daughter and I'm watching the news and I think, God, these are not things I want my kids to learn, right? No. I mean, this is not good leadership models. And on the, so that's on the political side, which everybody's obviously watching daily here, scary. On the corporate side, I think there is a great move and a great interest in high integrity and morality, which is awesome. But I think in a lot of cases, and we've seen it in companies like Volkswagen, the big obviously example recently, yep, absolutely and you know, and in the past Enron, where well, you put great values up that are wonderful and you believe in them and you hold on to them. It's like the Bible, right? They make sense, they work. Mm-hmm. But if you don't live it, it's 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 there's no, there's, there's no weight to it and it means nothing. It's meaningless. And I think a lot of corporations are trying to put that face out there and that – and that facade and putting the right values. And if you look at corporate values, almost everyone mentioned integrity. The issues happening daily right. in major corporations. So it's gotta be something that we've gotta put on the walls and then actually live it for it to become real. So I think there's a bit of a, a disconnect there in the corporate world where let's manage public perception because we know customers and employees care about this, but what we do inside behind the curtain is not necessarily important and that's, that's BS.
1: You see, that's part of my challenge, Lewis. And I'll tell you that, that um, my, con- my concern is you know, like you, I'm very passionate about purpose and, and, and that it has to be deep and real and authentic and all those kinds of things. But my concern is that I'm seeing, I mean, I've been invited to go and work with companies where I see that purpose is another version of mission statement where it's something we're gonna put up on the wall, we're gonna rally the troops around, but it's got nothing to do with how we're gonna actually operate. And I'm very concerned about that because it be, then it becomes the new trend and the trend will go away. Whereas what you and I are talking about is, is at a DNA level, if you will, I hate to use that term, but at a deep psychological level of like, no, this is the operating system. This is what it's about. This is the lifeblood of the company. Are you? Do you? How do you confront that when you? You know, people are reading this. Your great book. You know, they're getting on on board with purpose, and they realize, oh yeah, there's a lot of profit in this, and it's actually advantageous for engagement. But you can see that the 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 out of integrity pieces. How do you? How do you confront that? Do you confront
0: it? Yeah, I do. Actually, in my book, I and in all my, my speaking, I clearly divide um, purpose with mission and vision. So. I usually talk about sort of a three box. You have your why, which is why you exist as a corporation, above and beyond making money. Right. And I always see people don't jump out of bed in the morning and say, gee, I need to uh, make money, I'm gonna start a business. Because we know, both of us running businesses, ran a business, it's very Yeah. It's much easier to get a job than it is to run a company. So they jump out of bed for a core purpose of something that's really important to them, that they want to serve customers, or community the world with, right? Yep. That, always stays. That's the essence of heartbeat and DNA as you mentioned. But then when you move up the next level, I talk about vision is where you're going. Okay, so you do understand why you're put on earth, why you exist, where you're going. And you can't do a road trip without knowing where you're going to go. You can meander around, but if you know where you're going and the more you paint that beautiful picture of the future, the more you'll, you'll be motivated to get there, the more your employees will be motivated to get there, and then the more your customers will also even be connected to that, that um, vision of where you want to go, right? And they'll help you get there. People right. can't see where you're going. No one can help you get there, right? No. And then I talk about the mission. And mission for me is a what? Is what you do every day, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, quarter by quarter, year by year, to actually fulfill that purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's the execution side. So you're, I agree 100%. I see that all the time getting confused purpose and mission. But purpose is why you exist, mission is what you're doing every day the journey you're taking to fulfill that purpose, and then ultimately that vision where you're trying to go. So it's a huge distinction, which is put, in most put, cases.
1: Yeah, beautifully. Do. When you look at leadership, uh, tell us a leader you admire, someone who's doing it differently. Because, you know, we are seeing this. Uh, I think we're seeing a great polarity. We're seeing very much the, you know, as we transform with millennials, which is fabulous. Um, but we're seeing this, this polarity of the old school command and control and dominate uh, and as you said uh, results at any cost and on the other side we're seeing the servant leader evolve purpose driven leaders etc so t- tell us a leader you admire you see doing it differently
0: yeah the one leader i always love i always say uh, richard branson for me is a great example i think it's a remarkable purpose driven <laughs> leader that guy always looks i don't know him personally but he always looks like he's loving life enjoying what he's doing and by the way he's building you know he built a multi billion dollar you know, industry and enterprise. Right. Um, And you see all the charity work they do, all the giving. You can see that guy is a a real servant leader. He's living what he he's having fun doing what he loves to do. And he's creating, you know, hundreds and thousands of jobs as a result of it, impacting the economy in a big way, helping people, you know, move around the planet, whatever you're trying, whatever he's trying to do in all different aspects. He's he's living the dream from my perspective. And um, so that's the leader I always sort of put up there as someone who Seems to model that.
1: Yeah. You and I, again, have a lot in common. I hold him <laughs> in very high esteem um, and do – I am looking forward to hanging out with him at some point in the future um, because exactly that. I mean, here's a guy who looks like he's having a freaking good time. Yeah. Like, yeah. And in the process, making a ton of profits, making a massive difference and employing a bunch of people. And when I hear this thing about, well, it all comes down to the bottom line, I understand that. I get that. I respect that. But does it have to be cutthroat? And Branson is to me is, you know, you can throw as many arguments at me as you want, but then I, go, I just go, only have one argument for you. And they go, what? Richard Branson.
0: Yeah.
1: That's the only argument I got. Like right? So yeah. you're dead in the water. If here's a guy who's a multi-billionaire, billionaire, creating all kinds of companies, creating all kinds of employment, doing all kinds of good stuff,
0: end of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is the guy. Right. Yeah, you could do that. You could. You can achieve results the wrong way and the right way. I I firmly believe. Looking again at that example, there's what's happened when you do it the right way, right? Exactly. So,
1: what was the turning point in your life, in your leadership, in your business philosophy?
0: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, I have been talking about purpose like you. I mean, I've been living. I've been very blessed to live a purpose driven life my entire life. I've done jobs that I don't consider jobs, and I've done what I've loved to do, been able to serve other people, and things like that. Um, and I've been talking about purpose for pretty heavily from a personal professional perspective for the last maybe six years or so. And um, I had a remarkable opportunity, obviously, to spend you know, a short period of time over at Tesla and uh, launched the Global Employee Engagement Initiative over there. But before I presentation, I talked about this in the book about um, – and in the presentation, I put being a market leader. And it was to all our basically managers throughout the business. And I was advised before I even started, before I was doing this presentation on my first day of employment, is that we don't really talk about being a market leader. We talk about changing the world. And I thought, this is, well, this is awesome, right? You know, um, this is all fits in, you know, changing the world and talking about the, the bigger mission. But what I discovered, and I looked in there, and this is all very public. You look at it, you look at the, the volatility of, of Tesla stock and the challenges they had. Oh, and again, a remarkable organization that has huge success and hopefully a huge ability to change the world. But I realized that purpose and wanting to change the world and just holding on to that but not be able to execute and deliver your products on time and deliver the quality you need, and deliver your shareholder value and the stock market expectations, it doesn't work. And as big as you are and as big as established, and no matter how many hundreds and thousands of people you may have and billions of dollars, you'll eventually go out of business because there is a time when the money will run out, people will start having, stop having trust in your brand because you're not delivering what you say you're going to deliver, Right, the whole thing falls apart. So you've got to have both. You've got to have that strong purpose and you've got to run a great business and you've got to execute on it. And the more you can execute on that and run a better business and the more money... In the purpose space, you probably ran across this too, the word money is sometimes seen as ugly, right? It's an ugly mm-hmm. thing. Oh God, a purpose-based organization, right? I can't talk about making profits. But if you don't make profits... You in know business, <laughs> so, you can't grow. You, you can't hire more people. You can't do more. What your purpose is, right? You've got to have both. So that was a huge turning point. So the impetus, so this new book, is the combination of bringing those two together. Yes, purpose is is a foundation, but also the more money you can make the, from a top and bottom line perspective, the more you can fulfill your purpose. And money drives our. We're, you know, we're capitalist You know, or, um, country of and. and and most most part of the globe, and if you're not making money, you're not you're not running a good business. You're not growing, and you're gonna die.
1: Yeah. So I mean, like I said, this is this is a great book. Uh, I highly recommend it to everybody. You know, per, purpose meets execution. Where, what do you think is the sort of number one tip around execution? What is the thing that is missed? Because, like a, a lot of times, I find that people will look at it and go, oh. That's too big for us. There's too much for us to do, um, you know, and, and so they, they like the idea. But how do we execute on it is often a question. So give us a little bit of guidance on that one.
0: Yeah, and this is incred- incredibly simple. I mean, a lot of times in business, like none of this stuff is brain surgery, right? It's, it's basic stuff. And it's connecting the execution of what people are doing on databases at every level of your organization with the purpose fulfillment and what you're trying to do, and let me give you a great example. I talk about in my book. It's a remarkable company. It's a um, reward and recognition company called OC Tanner, and they're a major company. They, they provide you know everything from pins and plaques to everything they do to basically reward great work. Right. And I had a chance to tour their manufacturing facility. I met these remarkable people on the manufacturing floor. They were polishing pins, and they were spending you know sometimes you know decades of their career just polishing a pin. And they were doing they're doing great work, and they're engaged in what they're doing. And when I walked through, they all wanted to show me what they were doing. And in my experience, walking through manufacturing facilities in my career, usually uh, people keep their head down, they don't want to talk, they're worried that they'll see some executive they're gonna get fired, right? In OC it was very different. Everybody wanted to share what they were doing. And when we dug in deeper, the stories there were, when people are polishing this pin, this one particular lady, in, in, for example, she said that she envisions this pin being given to someone to reward great work and then going home to their families and sharing that with their families and how it's gonna impact and improve their lives. This is what's going on in the head of this woman polishing a pin, which most people go, oh my God, I have to go to work each day, polish a pin for whatever, $15 an hour. Nightmare, right? But she sees a beautiful, again, change your perspective. She's exactly. a beautiful picture of the purpose of that organization to reward great work. And there's that execution. So when she's working on it, she's not thinking of, oh, God, I have to get through another pin. She's thinking, how am I going to help reward great work? And this is my part in that. And every level of your organization, every receptionist, I have another great example I talk about um, at times in Stryker. When I first interviewed with that company in 2000, or actually end of 1999, there was a remarkable receptionist that made me feel when I came into the room and I was waiting for my interview. She engaged me in conversation. She spoke about how great the organization was. She made me want to work at Stryker. And she was a receptionist, answering phones and helping people in the door. But she saw her role as someone who could engage people in what Stryker is trying to do, right, to improve lives and save lives. Um, And that's the example of execution, right? Whatever you're doing, it's got to be connected ultimately to that bigger purpose. And if if the employees can't see the alignment, then you haven't effectively communicated it. The role's not set up correctly. Or if you can't find a connection, that role has no value. Get rid of it, right? right. I mean, honestly. Um, so every role in the organization, you need to paint the picture. That's part of a leader making that connection for their employees.
1: Yeah, It's, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I'm always fascinated by that uh, I get approached at two levels. And one is like, can you come and speak to our managers about purpose? And I'm like, I'm always a bit hesitant on that. <laughs> and the reason is because, you know, I could really upset the apple cat. Uh, you know, and I want to go, in, and I do, I do most of my work at the C-suite level and with the CEOs and others, and I speak to them and, and and have great work with them, but they're like, well, how do we translate this down? And if you do it at the middle level, at the management level, a lot of those people get it, but they, they're banging up against the upper echelon who have not done it. And I, I really believe that purpose is a is a top-down thing, The the person at the top has got to deeply believe, but as you said, you've got to be a master communicator. You've got to masterfully communicate what that purpose is, why it matters, so that, excuse me, so that I think that I've described purpose this way many times. I believe that purpose is the great magnet in that it pulls the right people to you, but the other side of that magnet should push people away. It should get rid of them and if and and I think a lot of times leaders particularly now in this time where we're very concerned about keeping our best people they sort of play this middle ground and they try and schmooze around it so as not to put people off but the bottom line is I believe you can tell me what your thoughts are I'm happy to hear them that you have gotta be willing to get off the fence and get everybody else off the fence and that means if you piss some people off by saying this is our purpose and they go "Well, I don't want to be part of that great then we need to find other people who, are, who, as you said, are getting out of bed excited in the morning to come to work in a place that believes in this purpose. So when you speak to, say, HR professionals or you speak to middle management people, um, how do you convey that part? Because they must come up to you and say exactly the same thing. Yeah, but how do we get the CEO to do this work? How do we get the C-suite guys?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more, Dov. If, if the CEO doesn't believe in it, the, the top leader doesn't believe in it, it's all lip service and it doesn't work. And I always say you can, fix, as you can try to fix whatever you want in the bottom of an organization. If it's broken at the top, it'll never work, right? No. And so what I say is when I talk to leaders, even hiring people, and this is, you know, Simon Sinek talks about this a lot, you know, you, you have to hire people to believe in what you believe. Yep. And not think like you, you want people to think differently because that's the diversity of thought, that's where innovation comes from, right? But they have to believe in what you believe. And the more they believe in what you believe, the more they want to help champion that, right? Yep. If it's saving the lives of children, a cancer charity, for example, you want people that, that really believe in that and really want to do that. Um, and that don't really care more about you know pets. And if they do, they should work in you know Peter yes. or something like that, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to, if you don't have that, that has to be at every level of organization, and great organizations that truly build this type of culture and environment, it's from the top down. I always talk about like a chocolate cake. No matter where you cut it, it's chocolate, you know, inside, outside, right? So, and, and people are intuitive. They're smart. They know lip service. If a CEO stands up and, you know, runs his mouth about all this great stuff that he believes in and then he acts differently or they sense he doesn't really internalize it or it's not part of his subtext, it falls flat again, you know? And, and when you look at an audience, when a CEO is speaking, it's a great way. I always sit in the back. And I sort of try to monitor the the audience, audience when they yeah. say things because you can always see when people go, oh, whatever they say something you know that's good, but you see the eyes roll like yeah great that's that's great to say but it doesn't actually exist or people have empowerment in the walls that they've micromanaged exactly. right so you, you got to live it at every level of the organization you got to you got to hire for it you got to ask the right questions you know above and beyond. Can interview questions that you know are about skills what you need to have and the certain talent you need to have, but you need to get beyond that right. and make sure at the heart people are connected to what you're doing, and then then it all works right because people want to to do good work, and they want to help your organization grow so
1: like i said this is this is your thing you, you you're the master here, so somebody watching this listening to us is going, you know I, I really get this stuff around purpose but I don't know where to start. I really want to operate from purpose. I get that it's important, and I'm a leader, but I don't know what it even really means. I like the idea of it. I'm afraid maybe it's a trend, but I'm pulled to that that, that idea. Where would they, Where would you say to this person, this person me, I don't know what my purpose is. How do I find it? What would you give them as the first couple of steps
0: well, first I'd give them both our phone numbers. And then <laughs> you
1: but first, we'll play like, tag. My, <laughs> we'll play exactly. tag with your hand. It won't be pleasant, but the results will be fabulous.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Well, like you, I, I do these corporations and you start at the top. You gotta start with the senior level, senior leadership, the C suite. That's what it's gotta start and it's gotta trickle down and trickle back up. So the first part of this is to, first of all, from a CEO perspective, I was a CEO of an organization and we lost our way. First thing I would think about is why why am I here? Why does this business exist, right? Again, above and beyond making money, what are we trying to do for our customers, our community, the world? What is that essence behind it, right? And then once I understand that, I would get my my C-suite team together and try to make sure we're all on the same page and communicate what my thoughts are and then take feedback from people around me, leaders around me that I trust and believe in to see what their thoughts are. But at the end of the day, a purpose, and you, I'm sure you agree with this, a purpose has gotta be something people see and they hear and they go, of course, right? Like yep. the Tesla example, right? The transition to world sustainable transportation, right, electric cars. No one's gonna say, ah, oh, BS, that's not what that company stands for. They're gonna say, okay, yeah, I, I see that, right? Yeah, it's obvious. Um, so there's gotta be consensus and, if you get your team together and you come up and say, okay, this is what we stand for. And, and a lot of times in major organizations that have grown up and suddenly lost their way, it came from and they start managing the p versus managing their business and their, their purpose, right? And they just forget. So sometimes looking back on history and saying, okay, if the founder's still around, or luckily if the founder is still the CEO and president, say, okay, when I got out of bed that morning, when I started this business, why did I do it, right? And the one key question I always ask, if people have a struggle figuring out why they exist, like they sit sitting around the room, we can't figure it out, ask this question, if suddenly your business were to disappear today, totally disappear, what pain would your customers, your community, and the world have? And that, for me, I use that all the time. That's the biggest highlighter, because what you do, if it's suddenly gone, then you sort of say, okay, this is why we're here, right? This is a void we feel fill in mm. um, planet. Yeah, so I, I would start with that question if you're struggling. But So the first the CEO, key leader, have a conversation with your C-suite around this, ask that particular question, and then leave the room, hopefully, with everybody saying, yeah, exactly, that's what we stand for, and then pass it down through your organization and get feedback back up so people feel they're all part of it as opposed to just everything being top-down, right? So it goes top-down and it comes back up. And then when you have a consensus, and you're never gonna have 100%, it's gonna be some people outliers that gonna say, you know, know, we're here, we're making electric cars, but actually we're in a helicopter business, right? Okay, that person needs to leave, right? At one point it's on the bus or you're off the bus, right? Right. Um, But the goal is to get an organization that all jumps out of bed each morning and say, this is why we're here, this is why we exist, we believe in it, your customers, your shareholders, They say, yeah, that's – so that's where you start.
1: But It's it's, it's interesting, uh, Lewis, and I'll tell you why. Um, Having done a lot of this work, as I know you have, I think there's a missing piece that we're not talking about and I want to go to it Um, because this is all very true. Everything you're saying, bang on, couldn't agree with it anymore. But the piece that I feel like gets missed and nobody addresses – and I think you and I are going to be on the same page with this – is – that it's not possible to find your true purpose. You can find a purpose, but your true purpose without self-knowledge. If you haven't done self-examination, if you haven't been in therapy, if you haven't looked at yourself, if you haven't done self-examination or worked with a, a tough coach who can help you through that process of self-examination. I know I was taken into work with a company, and the, the founder was there, who had done. No self work whatsoever, was a workaholic, had always been a workaholic, and actually could not get to purpose because the only purpose was to win. And that was true. That is actually his purpose. He is called, the psychology is called a hero winner. He's a hero winner psychology. Um, There's a certain person who lives in a big White House in the United States, he has the same psychology. It's not about Anything to do with anything deeper because the self examinations not there. Now, it's interesting that the second, the, the two I see, the second in command has done a ton of self-work. And he can get to his purpose, but it's a fascinating piece that if they haven't done that self-work or are not willing to do that self-work, and I'm not suggesting that you or I should step in as therapists, but there is a
0: therapeutic process to it, don't you think? Absolutely, purpose starts within. If you're looking for purpose outside your life, um, you will not find it. Um, it it's, it's connected to your heart. Now my first book that you mentioned before, and thank you for that, How to Find a Job, Career, and Life You Love, is all about putting a strategy together to do that. Because if some people talk about purpose in life, and they say, you just neander and you find it, that happens to some people, a small yeah, little sliver small. of society. In most cases, it's when you're on your deathbed, and you're thinking, God, I should have done this, I should have done this. And that's, that's so unfortunate. But mm-hmm. if you start self-reflection, like you said, if you start asking questions of yourself and the right questions, that's what this book's all about. It gives tons of questions to start self-reflectioning and sleeping on it and, and getting to a point where you really understand understand who you are and why you exist. I mean, that's the whole basis of religion, right? I mean, connecting to something bigger than you can necessarily see It's Inside is a roadmap for everybody, right? That's everybody true. has it inside. Most people are either too, too afraid to look inside or they're not willing to do the work because it's, it's not easy. Is It's not one day you just ask a couple questions. You have to spend time, like you said, with coaches, with self-reflecting yourself, whatever it is, any way possible to dig inside and look inside yourself. That's where you find the magic. That's where the gold is. And once you find it, like you, right, you know it. Absolutely. You know it is, And it's real and exists. And then you could find a job that fits in it. If you're looking for you know a job that you're going to love and you haven't done the self-reflection, you're not going to ever find. You're going to, if you're going to be very like winning the lottery if you actually hit it right. But if you go into the process knowing who you are and why you exist and what's important to you, and what you do best, by the way, because mm-hmm. I think so. Richard, piece of it too. yeah, again, Richard, doing and what his purpose is and what he's doing. So you put those two together. That's magic. That's when you win the gold medals in life, right? I'm a great runner myself. I love running and I run, you know, 20, 25, 25, 30 miles a week, but I could never get a gold medal in record in, in running because I, I like it. I'm, I'm good at it. I'm okay. But I don't have that. I don't have that extra piece. Right. But if you put that purpose and someone who, who is meant put on this earth to run, and then they're able to get as much development and training and the right shoes and coaches um, to develop that, you put that together, you win a world, uh, you know, gold medal. Right. And what the same thing for any employee at any level. You want gold medalists throughout your business, so that alignment is the magic in life.
1: You've, you know, I, I talked about in the introduction that you uh, studied advanced leadership at Harvard. You've done uh, Cornell. You, you know, labor relations. Um, Obviously, as we talked about, you've worked for Tesla, you've you know, worked for all these great companies, you, you're an author, you write, you speak, you do all these kinds of things, but you also have a variety of background. You, you, you come from a different place, um, and, and part of that was you have a background in a career in theater. How has that impacted you, the way you look at corporate and how you operate? It, yeah. Was that a therapeutic process for you?
0: Yeah, no. thanks for asking that. Definitely. I uh, My undergraduate is in theatrical directing. And what a theatrical director does is he basically makes sure you have the right people and the right roles connected to the character they're playing. So you can build a culture, a world on stage to engage an audience, right? And to move an audience from, emotionally from to tears, to laughter, to joy, to action, whatever it is. Can, can you and- stop
1: for a minute? Because that was beautiful. I want people to get that. Tell uh-huh. us what that theater director does because I, I want everybody to just stop for a minute and pause and go, okay, what is my company in the context of what Lewis is actually sharing right now? Just go through it again, that was beautiful.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So when, a, when you cast a show, first of all, as a, as a director and you're looking at creating a piece of theater, which is basically a product like any other product. Or a company. Which, or, yeah, that goal, exactly, exactly. That goal of that product is to move an audience. And if you connect it to a customer to a business, it's to move, you know, a a customer. In the in the sort of the example of directing a piece of theater, so it starts with making sure you have the right actors on board that can connect at a subtextual level. And in theater, we talk about subtext. You read a play, and those are the words. They don't move anything. No. What happens below the words are what moves people to laughter, tears. I mean, we all know that, right? You see a great piece of theater, you walk out crying. Or you see a, a piece of theater that you go, oh, geez, I just lost two hours of my life, right? <laughs> it could be that it could be the same play. I've seen the same remarkable plays, you know, like Arthur Miller, Death of a and great plays, right? That could one move you to tears and change your life. Yes, play that could just want you know put a gun to your head to get out as quick as possible. So it's the subtext, but the subtext happens to all the components. So having the right actor in the right role that connects to that character that again, is doing what they do best, again, acting, creating a character on stage. And then you have all the components that go in. You have the lighting designers, you have the scene designer, you have the costume designer, the makeup designer, the hair designer, all those people that come together to create that environment on stage. And then the director pulls it all together and makes sure that it's, it's it creates a world, right? And it's a culture you're creating on stage. It's exactly what you do in an organization, right? Absolutely. You cast, put the right employees in the right roles to play to their strengths, what they care about. It engages a customer. It creates better products. So it it is for me. It's been the strongest sort of heartbeat below. And it's funny. Everybody talks about going from directing theater and I was managing Broadway shows and think to going into a labor relations job at, at Stryker, you know, in medical devices. They think, oh my God, there's a huge gap between. But the fact of the matter is, it's still the essence of where I come from. And I think what's made me successful in my career because. It, it just makes sense. I mean, it's the same thing I'm doing. There's no difference, right? right? And the better I can do that on both sides, the more I move an audience member who pays, by the way, for a seat. It's not like free, right? They pay for a yeah. seat just like they buy a toothbrush or they buy a car whatever it is, right? And so if you engage people the same way about what you do, um, you've got magic. Well, you know, you've got to show. what
1: I was saying before about if they bend everything and I have to go work at McDonald's, what would I do? It's just I would do what I do. What that means is, yeah, I'd have to flip burgers and serve fries, but everybody around me, I'd be talking to them about finding their soul and finding their purpose, and I I couldn't help but do that. And I think that this is one of the things that people miss. Now, This is a piece that I'm actually interested in in your point of view because I've heard you speak about passion. But I I maybe maybe have a different slant on that in the way that I speak about it. I think that passion is transitory. And the example of how I talk about people confuse passion and purpose, vastly different. Uh, when I was 15, I know what I was passionate about because I'm a straight guy. And if I were taking that up as a career, I'd be in gynecology. That was, not, <laughs> that, that was my passion. And most 15, 16, 17-year-old straight men, you know, that, that passion. <laughs> or I'd be working as a mammographer or something, you know. that. But that's not my purpose. But the purpose is this theme that runs through everything. And when you talked about the work you did with, with directing and producing and, and all those things to do with theater, you were actually talking about this thread of purpose that runs through, that's still running through. And if I take you out of there and say, listen, now officially what you've got to do is you've got to go work on a on a, on a construction site, that purpose will bubble to the surface. And one of the things that I say to people is if you actually are willing to self-examine a pi- yourself, being willing to stop and self-examine, your purpose was always there. You've just disguised it, you've clothed it in, in a career. My original career was in hairdressing. That's the career I went into at 13 years old. But the purpose was still there. I couldn't recognize it then. But now I look at it and go, of course, it was the same thing. And and, and I, I love what you were saying about, about the theater because... You know, you talked about purpose and you're talking about culture and you're talking about creating something that shifts people. Why are you in business? Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Really is. Well, you know, I think the cool thing about purpose and like you, you just alluded to, you gravitate towards it in life. You're meant to follow your purpose in life when you aren't following your purpose is because you're actively pulling away from it. That's yes. the reality. Yes. And it's, it's almost like a bit of Taoism. I don't know if you're into Taoism, but I, I love the concept of Taoism because it's basically you let go. And you find your way, right, as exactly. opposed to trying to figure it out. But the fact of the matter is we're born understanding this. It's Absolutely. just a process of living is what pulls us away from it. So it's almost like it's, you know, just letting go to get back um, is, is sort of a, a funny irony behind it.
1: You know, think people often think of, of purpose as soft skills, but you see it as a strategic business model. Tell us a little bit about
0: that. Yeah, there's there's an awesome book I cite in my book called uh, Terms of Endearment, uh, affirms I'm sorry, affirms of endearment, um, obviously a play on the, the movie. Of course. And there's there's um, remarkable studies in there, two 15 years studies in, in two revisions of that book um, that shows a hard R- ROI behind purpose-based organizations. And what that basically means, a lot of people it's, it doesn't again mean going back and forgetting about P and L. The P and L is as we spoke before absolutely critical. You have to hit in the commercial business your top and bottom line results. So that is a component that that is there. But this, this research shows significant ROI, well above the S&P 500, and well above companies that just can execute well, but companies that have the combination of purpose and execution that do it well. And these are companies like the, the Whole Foods of the World, Commerce Bank, um, IDEO, yeah. who have done remarkable things, right? But it's because they focus on their purpose as a foundation and when they talk about their P&L, they say, okay, we need to drive our sales, we need to deliver 20% more growth, let's say on our top line. Right. As opposed to saying, okay, let's beat our employees and say we're going 20%, 20%. No, no, it's selling more in Whole Foods, more healthy food to people, right? right. Um, if, you're, if you're trying to, you know, medical devices, whatever, it's trying to improve more lives. So if we need to grow 20% more on our top line, and grow whatever it is, you know, extra 10% on a bottom line. Okay, so the way we do that is we help improve more lives, and yeah. we have to these many more lives to hit our 20%. So it's so tied together, and people Absolutely. struggle with this, but Absolutely. it's it's hard numbers. Yeah, it's fabulous. One of the things that uh, I deeply believe
1: is that we're never there. We're always growing. We're always developing, and I think that. That is including in the refinement of our purpose, but just as leaders and as human beings, the, the, we all want to be there, but when am I going to get there? But it's a constant process. Tell us something that you are currently working on in your own life, in your own career, that's a challenge for you. What are you working on in your life, in your business?
0: Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm always working, and this is a crazy answer. I mean, you, you probably can relate to this, always being more of who I am. And it's interesting. Um, I find in life that the more I can align who I really am, the more success I have. And like I spoke before, it's easy to pull away from that. When I was early in my career um, with leaders, I would always love watching great leaders, you know, and watching great leaders speak and deliver great speeches. And initially I would try to emulate that. I would try to copy even hand movements. I would think about during them speaking, you know, how uh, one of my favorite speeches is, I mean, it's, a little politically charged, but um, Jesse Jackson during the 1984 Democratic Convention, mm-hmm. he gave this remarkable speech. For me, probably one of the most removing, moving speeches um, I've ever heard. And I listen to that probably every couple months. I'll just play it and just listen watch it because it helps, again, give me a bit of an aspiration. But one thing I was doing initially is trying to copy people that did great things from a leadership perspective and I realized as I went through my career the times when I dropped that and I just it just be me like I'm talking to you now just not thinking about oh, what would so and say so or what would Richard Branson say whatever um what would I say and and who am I I'm letting it flow is that's when it works so I'm always trying to work on myself to be more who I am and you know and never you're you're never fully there you know yeah, I've you know, it's great, when I get, when I get to 80%, it's, it's utopia, but I, like everybody else, I find myself pulling away and suddenly I'm struggling. I'm saying, why am I struggling now? It's because I'm not doing, right? I'm not aligning that, so I try to get myself back. So it's a constant process. So for me, that's every day. I mean, it's, it's something of trying to do and trying to get to that utopia. I mean, I'm a very idealistic person. I think, God, there is that opportunity out there to be this perfect, you know, live everything. Um, so I'm always shooting for that.
1: So, so I, let's go a little bit deeper for a minute. What scares you? What is it that keep, that might keep you up at night?
0: Yeah, you know, it's very funny. I, um, as a writer, and I don't know if you you can relate to this, but um, I've been writing since I've been very, very young. Writing something very, very passionate. I'm very passionate about. Right. I love. Um, you know, I think I'm I'm good at it to some extent. And but every time, regardless of how much I write and put stuff out there, every time I put something out there, I do always think a pit in my stomach that's that. that People are going to hate it, right? Uh, people are going to go, oh, who wrote this? And this is the biggest garbage I've ever seen. It makes no sense, whatever. So, but you know, I cannot relate at all. Yeah, I know. You can't relate. Really, I know. But even when I speak, as much as speaking, you know, and, and a theater director, actually, a coach of mine told me a while ago, which is a great advice, you know, every time you go on stage, as much as I go on stage, I don't know about you, but I still feel ner- nervous before I get on stage every time. And one of my... Uh, that, that nervousness and that, that care that you're putting into what you're doing is what makes you great in what you do. Right. If I didn't care about what I put out there, I would probably put out garbage, but I take time. I care about it. I do have nightmares that, you know, I'll put something out and be like, every time I push the, you know, the publish button, I'm like, Oh God. So that, you know, I still struggle with that. And, um, you know, and I, but I would, the way I combat that in my life and, you know, I always, I love listening to personal development people and seeking, you know, advice from people in my life. And when you think about your life and how many negative experiences you have versus how many positive experiences you have, the negatives are this small right. and the positives are huge, you know, huge, uh, grand Canyon, but it's, it's really easy and it's natural tendency to go look at that negative. Like I could have a million positive comments. Someone makes one negative comment, like, Oh my God, you know? So I try, I always try to sort of, pull myself back to all these positive stuff I've gotten and say okay well you know there's always you're not gonna be able to please everybody but there's always that fear always that fear in the back of my head that at one point I'm gonna piss everybody off
1: (laughs) I I can I can relate to that (laughs) I believe that the most successful people in the world are obsessed that's not a negative thing they just have an obsession what's yours what's your obsession
0: uh, my obsession is uh, we probably have to say obsession to detail. I mean, I, I probably can drive drive people crazy. I mean, i I like things um, you know, perfect and um, and I believe, and again, it goes back to my subtext. I believe that the subtext and all the components behind things Im- influence the viewer of what they're what they're reading or what they're seeing. And so everything from um, you know detail of the wall behind you, whatever it is, that you create that environment. Right. Um, sometimes I can be obsessed with that to the point where things that people think, are you serious? is like a little crinkle in the paper. I mean, I had my mother one time, she mailed a letter for me and I, I always liked everything nice and neat. And before she mailed it, she crinkled it a little bit. And I know when it goes through the mail, it's, it's absurd. It's again, obsession. I knew it would get crinkled on the way, right? But I re- I did it again. And my mother was like, you are nuts, right? But <laughs> I wanted to make sure when I sent it off, it was, you know, I'm to sure my. I'm sure
1: very easy on your children.
0: Oh yeah, I know. I know. My person, my, my nine year old is a little yeah, bit.
1: Your nine year old, you're already queuing your nine year old up for therapy right now.
0: You're, you're Start saving my, my friend. Stop yeah, saving. I know. And my wife says my wife and I couldn't be the the polar opposites on that. So she's like, "What are you doing? Who cares? Who cares?" But I'm like, it's important, you know. So I'm I'm always working on that too. But that's uh, that's an obsession of mine.
1: Now you we're getting very close to the end, uh, and very often. Uh, on on these shows or some of the shows, you know, people will ask people, what's the best advice you give to your 20-year-old self? I want to go the other way. And what I want to ask you is this. If you move forward in time, what is the advice your 70-year-old self might give to you today?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a, um, you know, I think it's probably what I just said. It's probably uh, don't sweat the small stuff. (laughs) You know, life. Let, let the crinkles go, buddy. Let the <laughs> crinkles go. <laughs> Actually, someone at one point gave me a book. That book, "Don't Sweat the Small Stuff," and I was like, I don't need this book, seriously. <laughs> Many years ago, but yeah, I think that would probably be it. Don't sweat the small stuff, and um, you know, embrace every moment. I, I really actively, being in the space as you are, I actively always try to do that. And so, and like everybody, you get derailed in life. You know, it's easy to get derailed, and so I got to pull myself back. So I think that's probably would be the advice. I'd give myself, don't split the small stuff um, and move forward in life, enjoy it.
1: You know, it's very interesting. Like I said, we're very close to the end, but, you know, what's really interesting to me is that you've got this theater background, you've got the business, you've got the, you know, the purpose and, and, and you're clearly quite a creative guy. I mean, there's obviously that creative flow is right in there. It's, it's part of your blood flow as well. Um, and yet, you've got all this detail thing, which can be seen as more sort of quote-unquote left-brained. Um, it's interesting because th- that creative part of you also doesn't let you stay too rigid. So it's interesting that you've got this desire to be to be very specific and uh, and uh, you know detailed, and on the other side of you, it has to be very free and free flowing. And you're already writing a, th- a third book uh, on what appears to be a very different subject title, which is. Uh, I believe as you wrote and it said, it's called "Behind the Ink." Tell us a brief little bit about that, so that people can get prepared for that one coming.
0: Yeah, no, I had a remarkable opportunity to meet a guy named Mario Barth, who I wrote a Forbes article about, who is a celebrity tattoo artist and runs a mega empire ink for the for the industry, and also running tattoo studios around the globe. Um, if you've ever been in Vegas and you see Starlight Tattoo, he has them in uh, in Mirage and Mandalay Bay. They're multi-million dollar studios. And this guy has gone into an industry that has been very a back alley industry, um, dark windows, cash business. Um, and he's basically come in and he's created this industry as a result of running a great business. Again, connected to his purpose and what he does best and what he loves. He's a remarkable artist. He's done Sylvester Stallone, Lenny Kravitz. I mean, all these big people. There's a two year waiting list to get on this guy's um, on this guy's radar to even get a tattoo, and. He's, he creates remarkable art, but he, decide, he said to himself that if he wanted to really expand on what he did and really impact the world, he had to run a good business. So I basically this book, Behind the Ink, The Transformation of an Industry, is about this guy who's an artist who basically built a mega business um, that could potentially IPO in the near future, um, a multi-million dollar organization by combining art and business. So the, this really it's a business book about a tattoo artist.
1: That's fantastic. I lo- I'm actually very excited about that book. I thought, well, wow, that is, is so great. Something that, as you said, back alley, people would never think of as being, I mean, everybody owns a a, a tattoo store, maybe they own two, you know, but it's not this multi-million dollar empire, and it's so brilliant. Uh, you know, the fact that the guy's an artist, but he's also a business person who's understood that is fabulous. Listen, Louis, This has been awesome, mate. I have loved having you here. It's been terrific. I'm really grateful for everything that you've shared. Is there one final piece of um, advice you'd like to, direction, practical advice you'd like to give to leaders before we sign off?
0: Yeah, I guess the thing I would leave, and it's again what you always preach as well, uh, be authentic, be yourself, uh, because people know when you're not. And the more you can be yourself, the more you, you talk about what you really truly believe in and say what you truly believe, the more success you'll have in, in careers, in your career. So just don't try to be someone else. Be more of you. That's the secret of success.
1: Absolutely. And, and when we say be more of yourself, that means be more inquiring about yourself. Because like you just heard Lewis say, that we are constantly inquiring into ourselves to be even more of ourselves. So when people go, oh, I know who I am. I'm an asshole. Well, that's not actually who you are. That's a behavior. Dig a little bit deeper. Thank you so much, Lewis. It's been a real pleasure. Um, please tell our viewers, our listeners, where they can find out more about you, what it is you do, your books, your speaking, etc. cetera.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor to be here. Um, I can be found at uh, lewisaffron.com, which is my personal site. I can be found at purposemeexecution.com, which is my other business site. Both of my books are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all across the web, and some bookstores. First one, How to Find a Job, Career, and Life You Love. Second one, Purpose Meets Execution, How Winning Organizations Accelerate Engagement and Drive Profits. I'm on Forbes, Huffington Post. You can find me there and several other journals around, um, all out there on the web. Just punch my name in.
1: Thank you, my man. It has been a real pleasure and honor having you here. I hope you'll stay with us to the very end. And I want to thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. Again, lewisefron.com, L-O-U-I-S and N. N. F- N. for normal Norman normal, normal. <laughs> exactly louisafron.com, <laughs> get yourself over there check him out you can find him, if you read, if you search him on on uh, Google you'll find all kinds of great stuff including videos and stuff get over there take a look at I mean this guy's got great stuff and I'm telling you I read this book it is fabulous. Fabulous book. You need to have it. You need to put it into your library and you need to not just put it in your library, but you need to read it and actually put it into action. Again, remember the research consistently shows that one of the biggest challenges facing some of the most successful companies is quite counterintuitive. In the fastest growing companies, often hit the point where they realize they're spending an absolute fortune attracting, training, and developing top talent, only to have them leaving them at an alarming rate. If you are sick of investing in training and developing your talent, only to have them leave you before you can get the return on your investment, then come and talk to us at FullMontyLeadership.com, where we provide you with the essential leadership skills to rekindle and amplify your loyalty, assets of your organization through digging in to your soul's purpose what makes all the difference FullMontyLeadership.com providing you with the concrete soft skills to get you and your organization to the top and keep you there Why? Because you can outsource authenticity Remember to stop by The Matrix at matrix.fullmontyleadership.com and get your authentic leadership matrix self-assessment tool valued at 197 is It's absolutely free for you being a regular, tuned-in listener. We appreciate you tuning in. Remember, we love it when you go over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Remember, matrix.fullmontyleadership.com. Till next time, this is Dov Barron saying, stay curious, my friend, stay curious about the deeper purpose of why you're in business, because it isn't just about making the money. Till next time, this is Dov Barron, and I am out.